This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, and I am so excited to be back hosting this podcast today. I want to thank all of you who have been praying for me over this past year. I have received news from the doctor that I am in remission, and I just praise the Lord and thank you for praying so faithfully. Well, we have an exciting program uh, to share with you today, and I look forward to getting into it. And I want to start with a question that is asked over and over again, and I think even more so in the days that we're living in. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? And of course, all of these questions have plagued mankind from the beginning, and they all stem from the need to know our purpose, understanding our position in Christ first. Before we consider our condition or our behavior in our daily walk is truly vital if we are going to fulfill the purpose that God has called us to fulfill. You know, the book of Ephesians clearly lays out the truth that we need to know about our position and our condition, truth that sets us free to be all that God designed us to be. Well, Dr. Dave Anderson has written a biblical and practical book on Ephesians in layman's terms, I believe, uh, that really help us to grasp the truth of our position and condition. So we're going to be discussing his new book, Position and Condition over the next several weeks. Well, Dr. Anderson is president and professor of biblical languages and systematic theology at Grace School of Theology. He is a graduate of Rice University. In addition, Dr. Anderson received his master's in theology and doctorate in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the author of many books that we've discussed on this podcast, and we're so excited to share with you some of his insight from this new release. Welcome back, Dr. Anderson. Yeah, no, welcome to you. So oh. great to see you back and uh, in remission and yes. answer to many, many months of prayer, and uh, it's just great to see your smiling face. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Dr. Anderson, you open your book with the, the, uh, this idea that God has a purpose for us in life, but that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. So what is our purpose about? Who is it about? Well, you know, they, there's so many different ways to view the world. We call those worldviews, of course, to view man's role in the world. Uh, but we try to get our answer to that question from the scriptures. So that's a, that's a, a given. That's an assumption we're making. That, that somewhere in there we can find the reason we're here. Uh, some people say that history is his story, meaning Christ, and so that would be a Christocentric view, mm-hmm. that everything revolves around Christ. Yeah. Others would say, no, it's about man, God's highest, his magnum opus, his highest creation. That would be an anthropocentric way of explaining things. Okay. We think, uh, though, that uh, the way the scriptures are explain it to us, that it's centered around God himself. Mm. So that would be a theocentric approach. And so we get what is called the meta-narrative, or a way of answering your question, the reason for human existence, from looking at the struggle between the angels and God. Mm. That Lucifer, being an angel, the highest of the angels, challenged God's character. 
and he, when he rebelled, and he challenged God's love, and he challenged God's sovereignty. So we would say then God created a being a little lower than the angels in terms of mobility, intelligence, mm-hmm. things like this, uh, dependent on oxygen, gravity, all these things, uh, and given less revelation of God than the angels had, because they were in the third heaven with God. Right. That even with this limited amount of revelation and limited intelligence and limited mobility and all these things, that uh, God says, no, they'll choose me. They won't go your way, they'll go mine. And so that begins this uh, galactic conflict between the two that ultimately is to be answered by man. So God's going to answer that by giving man a chance to prove that God's worthy of love and that God is worthy uh, of being sovereign. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do that through his commandments, really. Yeah. And there are many places in Scripture, John 14, 21, Deuteronomy 8, that say that through obedience to his commandments, we show that we love him. And, of course, when you obey a commandment from a superior, you're saying you have a right, you're an authority. That's right. He has have, the right and yeah, because we right. love so him. That answers the sovereignty question. That answers the love question. Wow. Uh, of course, as it's explained in the scriptures, originally Adam and Eve were to take dominion over the earth. Mm-hmm. Another word for dominion is kingdom. They were to make planet earth their kingdom. Uh, of course, they failed, so God gives another chance and another chance and another chance and another, ch- another chance with different people at the center of his theocratic program. Yes. But along the way, he realizes, oops, uh, Man's got to do this, but man, as with his fallen nature, is incapable. So he creates a second Adam, doesn't create him in, in one sense, but he creates a second Adam in that Jesus didn't really exist until uh, Nazareth, when uh, Mary got pregnant. The second person of the Trinity has existed from eternity past, but the God-man, the God-man yeah. that we know as, as Jesus, and we will know forever as Jesus, that's something that never existed until conception, yes. all right? And so the second Adam, that's what the Bible often calls the second Adam, uh, will then answer these two questions by setting up a kingdom. And that's called the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign. Of and during that reign of righteousness, Christ will then bring the answer, yes, God is has the right to rule the universe, mm-hmm. and he is worthy of being loved. So kingdom you start with the kingdom in Genesis 1, 26. You wind up with the kingdom in Revelation 20. And all that is while man is still in flesh and blood. And, of course, ultimately, when those questions have been answered, then uh, John in Revelation 21 sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of the third heaven. Mm-hmm. It already exists. Right. Jesus is sitting there now at the right hand of God the Father. It already exists. But it will come down to a, either a refurbished, recycled, or a brand-new planet and we spend eternity in the New Jerusalem. It's so exciting. It's it's more exciting than any movie out there today that young people are running to see, the Star Wars or whatever it might be. Uh, and yet this is true. This is not just a story. It's not a fairy tale. It is true. And I think it gives a, such an exciting purpose, Dr. Anderson. It's an adventure. It's a glorious adventure that he would choose us knowing we would fail, but he loved us so much. That he did it anyway, right? Right. Well, of course, I was explaining on a macro level. Yes. Here's the purpose for all of mankind. But what about micro? What about your purpose? Exactly. Exactly. He gives it to us. It's right there. It's the same as the macro. It just fits in in a smaller way. He says, seek ye first the 
kingdom, his kingdom of God. Right, right, yeah. In his righteousness. In his righteousness, So yeah. that's to be our transcendent cause. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, that's a cause, a reason, a purpose for living that transcends or rises above all the setbacks in life and all the uh, injustices and all the tragedies. And uh, each one of us in our life could probably go back and name a few of those things uh, that could derail and would derail uh, you if you didn't have this transcendent cause to live for. That's right. And so uh, you can subsume almost anything in your life to seeking first the kingdom of God. Uh, and, you know, that what's so exciting about that to me is that it doesn't matter what circumstances you are going through. You can still seek God and his righteousness. Huh? You and know, that, his word is there. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't matter if you are yeah. a housewife or no. a school teacher no. or an electrician or a preacher. Uh, God's given guidelines in all those things whereby we can bring glory to him by seeking first his kingdom, yeah. making that our number one priority in life. Uh, it's it's a it's a great priority that that we don't have to worry about being qualified, just resting in Him and allowing us to do it. You know, you say in Ephesians that you you say, excuse me, that Ephesians is about the creation and the conduct of the church. Uh, you've based this book, uh, position and condition, on the book of Ephesians. Just for clarification for our audience purposes, you know, we hear about the church from Catholicism. We hear about uh, the church being, well, it's that building down the street, or the church, well, that's the Baptist, or it's the Methodist. What is Paul discussing when he says the church? Well, he does two things, really. But one is what we call the universal church, or the body of Christ, as we see in Ephesians 1. Uh, And this would include anyone who is a believer from uh, the upper room at Pentecost all the way until the rapture. Okay. Uh, because the, that's considered the body of Christ. And uh, we get into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so it says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen that every single person has been baptized into the body of Christ. So if you're in Christ, that's your position, we're calling. Mm-hmm. Then you're in the body of Christ, and then you're in the church, universal. Now, the local church is, is a little different. I mean, it's a lot different. <laughs> yes, yes. That's the church down on... Uh, first and Main Street, right, and right. it's it's localized, and it has elders and deacons, and mm-hmm. there's the open worship of uh, praise and uh, teaching the word, giving money, yeah. things like that. That that's the local church, okay. and he he spent some time uh, dealing with uh, the local church, but yeah. uh, the creation of the church is is a reference to the body of Christ, the universal church. How how significant was that phrase, in Christ, to, to Paul? Uh, it seems he spoke of it a lot. Well, it was ginormous. Uh, as a matter of fact, many theologians think that is his main doctrine, mm-hmm. his primary doctrine. Uh, but it's saying that, the, the, well, actually Martin Luther nailed it. He's the first one we know of since the first century to nail it when he said, at the same time we are justified and also sinful. So, simul justus et peccator is what he said. You know, simul simultaneously, we are just. He's talking about your position in Christ, where you've been declared completely righteous in heavenly places, in Christ. You have forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future, in Christ. Of course, that's what he's getting at in Ephesians 1, 3, and following. 
is all these blessings we have in heavenly places in Christ, in him, in the beloved, and so on. Now, that's your position. Now, Albert Schweitzer was a rank liberal, as far as we theolo- theology goes. But on the way back from his uh, medical mission in Africa, uh, on a ship with no library in front of him, he wrote one of his most famous books. It's called The Mysticism of Paul. And what he was getting at is the fact that right now, right where we're seated here, we are in the heavenly places. Mm. Well, that's a little hard to comprehend. Would you agree? Yeah, your office is nice, but I didn't think about it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This isn't the heavenly places, right? So uh, we're in these uh, heavenly places, but we're also right here on earth. So there's this position up there uh, that's true, but there's also this condition we find ourselves as we walk this planet. Uh, and in some ways, the two would seem contradictory, but he says, no, they're both true simultaneously. And that's why Luther got that. Yeah. said, in Christ, up here, you're completely forgiven. You're declared righteous. You're justified. You're just. But that doesn't mean you are just on earth. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what Paul was trying to do, like in the book of Romans, I have a little book on Romans 5 through 8 called Portraits of Righteousness, yeah. is in the themed section of um, Romans, He says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Is revealed is present tense, Mm -hmm. right now. So he says in Romans 4 that you've been declared righteous the moment you believe. Boom. All right? That's up here in your position. Mm -hmm. But God doesn't want your righteousness to stay up in heaven. He wants it to get it down to earth. He doesn't want it to just linger up there in your position. He wants what's true in your position to become true in your condition. So that's why the same word dikaiosune is used in Romans 1 uh, and then over in chapter 4 and then in chapter 6. It goes from your positional righteousness to your conditional righteousness or your righteousness in your condition. And ultimately Romans 8, he wants the full righteousness of Christ worked out in our lives so that we become portraits as we walk along this earth of his righteousness, portraits of the righteousness we already have. So that's why Swatcher calls this a little mystical. Well, and it goes back to 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 the beginning when you were talking about the fact that he wants uh, he he is he is proving that he is worthy of our love and that he is sovereign over all and worthy of our obedience. And so, when we reflect him on on earth, we're doing that, aren't we? Exactly, uh, we are portraits of his righteousness yes, yes. Uh, because it's actually his character that he's passing on to us. That's why he says, "From faith to faith," or. Even better put, Second Corinthians three eighteen, is that we're being transformed into the same image as our Lord, mm-hmm. from glory to glory. Yes. Now I define glory as an open public manifestation of whatever is being glorified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you take the character qualities uh, of whatever is being glorified. Like if if you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was young, you'd see him flexing his muscles. Yes. yes. Well, that would be the glory of Arnold. Uh, right, right. right. But when you're talking about the glory of God, you're talking about his character qualities. Mm-hmm. And there are 14 attributes we talk about, mm-hmm. seven of which can be passed on to us. Sure. Uh, you know, truth, love, things like this. The fruit of the Spirit, would no, you no, say, the, or no? Th- these That'd are, be different. Oh, okay. These are the attributes of oh, God. Oh, the attributes of God. So okay. those are his character yes. qualities. Yes, yes. Now, a lot of those character qualities are manifested mm-hmm. as we walk by the Spirit and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But 
It's not, it's not the same list. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Well, you know, when we think about our uh, being justified as believers, but we're also sinners, we know that that justification is eternal. You know, that we're never going to lose that. So what happens when we sin then on earth? How do we, you know, are we, are we no longer justified? We know that's not true. We are justified. So what happens uh, on earth when we sin? Right. Well, that, that's a great, great question. In fact, a lot of times I get people say to me, well, wait, if we're forgiven of our future sins when I trusted Christ as Savior, if that's true, why do I have to ask forgiveness when I sin? Mm-hmm. And what, again, is they're not thinking in terms of categories. You're forgiven of your future sins in your position, yeah. but not in your condition. So nothing in my condition can ever change or alter my position. That's eternal. Mm -hmm. That's why it says in Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But right in front of that, he says, neither things past nor things present nor things to come. come." Well, what's to come in my life? Well, probably some more sin, unfortunately. No doubt. But he's saying that sin can't separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. For on a forensic level or a courtroom level, Mm -hmm. where God's gavel comes down and declares me righteous, all that future sin is wiped away. Now, how much of my sin was future with respect to when Christ died? Well, if he died 2,000 years ago, roughly, it was all future. So the sins I committed between uh, when I was able to commit personal sin, uh, age two, three, or my mother might say six months, (laughs) up until uh, the time I trusted Christ as my Savior, that was all forgiven, wasn't it? Uh That was all future. And what about the sin since I became a Christian until today? That's yes, future. That's future. What about the sins between today and... It's all future. It's all future. All that's yes. future. Yes. So if his death can take care of these future sins, it can certainly take care of these future sins. Absolutely. On a courtroom level, mm-hmm. that's your position in Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now your question dealt more with your condition on earth. Yeah. What if now I sin? What about that? You don't break your relationship with God. You break your fellowship with God. Mm-hmm. Now, relationship or fellowship are really two different ways of talking about, or another way of talking about position and condition. Mm-hmm. Your position can never be changed. That's your relationship with God. I have a son. That's an eternal relationship. Even if I were to go to hell and he to go went to heaven, that relationship doesn't change, right? You're still his father. That's yeah, right. that's forever. Nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. But if he becomes a drug pusher, and I know about it, there's a real good chance we won't be having much intimacy. Mm. We call that fellowship. Fellowship is enjoying the relationship. So I might have this eternal relationship, but if I know my son is living in rank, gross sin, there's a great chance we won't be enjoying the relationship. Mm -hmm. In other words, we'll be out of fellowship. So uh, 1 John teaches, when I knowingly sin... I've broken my fellowship with the Lord. I've broken my intimacy. In fact, later on in that book, he says, uh, you know, by this you know that you're really close to Christ, if you to God, if you keep his commandments. The person who claims he's really close, really intimate, really uptight with Jesus and is knowingly breaking his commandments is simply a liar. Mm -hmm. The truth isn't in him. That fellowship's broken. Fellowship. Doesn't say he doesn't have a relationship with God. Right, right. Says he doesn't have fellowship with Mm -hmm. God. In order to restore fellowship, thankfully, he goes right back to the blood of Christ, which keeps on cleansing us of all sin, and says you simply need to confess the sins you know about. When you do that, he cleanses you of that, 
and all the other unrighteousness you don't even know you're doing. Just like if your son came to you and said, Dad, I've got a problem. I need help. Would you yeah. forgive me? Of course, you're sure. going to forgive yeah. him. And of course, you're going, that re- that restores that fellowship, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful picture. I love the analogy of the yeah. father-son because we can all relate to that as parents, certainly. And even if you're a child, which we all are a child, we can relate to that relationship with our Well, he had positional forgiveness before yes. he was born, actually. Yes, yes. When he was still in... Uh, my wife's womb, uh-huh. we knew he was probably going to sin someday. Mm. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, you do. And you don't say, oh, never mind. Yeah, well, we, we don't had want him, him anyway. Gonna, right? We had him anyway. That's right. And loved him from the beginning and still yeah, do. Right, right. Yes, yes. Well, uh, in the preface of your book, you mentioned that you have seen more confusion on the difference between our position in Christ and our condition on earth than any other doctrine. How are they confused? How are the two confused? You put the uh, tendency of our flesh is to put the cart before the horse. Okay. And to make a proper condition a condition for having the right position. Mm. Now, that's a mouthful, but it's, it's really saying, until I clean up my act, I can't be accepted by God. Mm. So accepted, if I'm accepted by God, I'm in his family, so that would be my position right. in the family. Right. Uh, if I clean up my act, that's a change in my condition. And I'm saying, no, 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 that's not it at all. You have to start off with your correct position by faith alone in Christ alone. And then the Holy Spirit comes in you to help you uh, become a better person. Mm -hmm. Or as we like to put it evangelistically, Jesus cleans his fish after he catches them. (laughs) You heard me say that. Oh, yes, it's so true. But I like to keep saying it because it's... I love it. It gets the right picture. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does. It does. And, and, you know, that's that's so important to, to emphasize because if we think that a person needs to clean their act up, they don't have a source to do that. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them right. to clean up. Right. And so it, it, it to me, it seems it's almost logical if you think about it. But, but even as Christians, I, I think people struggle with it because uh, we confuse... Uh, acceptance and approval. Oh, yes. And uh, I think for God to love me, I have to perform at a certain level. Mm. Or my condition needs to be at a certain level of righteousness to be accepted by him. Well, that's not true at all. You're 100% accepted, as it says right here in Ephesians 1, Mm -hmm. in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved, Mm -hmm. in Christ. You are 100% accepted. Nothing in your condition can change that. Mm. But... As you keep focusing on that, that position you have in Christ can profoundly affect your condition as you get better. Your condition will be evaluated someday. That's called the judgment seat of Christ, and that's where we find his approval. Yes. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or he might say, enter the joy of the Lord. Or he might say, you wicked servant. You should have at least taken what I gave you and put it in the bank, and so I might have interest when he came back. You know, And so that servant doesn't enter the joy of the Lord. Doesn't mean he doesn't enter heaven. Doesn't mean he doesn't, yeah. Again, talking about levels of intimacy with Christ forever. Yes, yes. Wow. And don't we want to be as intimate as John was, you know? John thought he was his favorite, and maybe he was, uh, to have that kind of intimacy. Uh, Well, our purpose is so beautifully uh, connected to our position, as Paul delivers it in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should, should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as son by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Wow, that is just such a beautiful passage, one I turn to so often to remind myself of, of what I have been blessed with simply because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Why do you think Paul felt it was important right here, right out of the gate in Ephesians uh, to assure us, or it's the way I read it, to assure us of our spiritual blessings? Why is that an important thing? Well, I think because of our flesh, again, our sinful nature, we innately suffer from horseshoe eye disease, meaning our eyes go out and come back and focus on ourselves. And as we focus on ourselves, we tend to focus on the negative, focus on our lacks, our inadequacies, uh, or our failures, or our sins, which would be among our failures. And as we focus on our condition, our condition gets worse, Mm. because you become what you think about. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so as I sit around and wallow in my uh, things I don't have, Things other people have, I wish I had, uh, and then my failures and all that. Uh, that's not the victorious Christian life. No. He says the only way to get that is to get your eyes off yourself uh, on earth in your condition and get your eyes on who you really are in Christ in your mm-hmm. position. Mm-hmm. That's why you have so many I am's in the scriptures. You know? And some people have pulled those out. I forget how many there are, but uh, maybe a hundred. Uh, who you really are. You are a child of God. I am. Yeah. Uh, so it's incredibly important to get your eyes on your position. Again, I love 2 Corinthians 3.18 because it starts off saying, uh, beholding the Lord as in a mirror. Mm. You know, Well, you go through that verse on which we are transformed into the likeness of God uh, from glory to glory. It says, even by the Spirit of the Lord. So our responsibility in changing our condition is zero. The Spirit does it. But we do have responsibility. The responsibility is behold the Lord. Mm. So that's another way of talking about behold your position. As you behold the Lord, you're seeing all that he's done uh, for you, all that you are in him. So that's why I think he starts off saying you've got to understand your position before your condition will get better. And so it's keeping our focus on him Mm -hmm. and then relying on him, having faith that that he is the one who will transform us. Well, as, when you say him, if you're talking about Jesus, you're, you're, and the Holy Spirit. you're focusing right. on, yeah. well, as this passage does, all three yeah. persons of the Trinity, Yeah, right? exactly. Right, what right. What the Father's done, what the Spirit, yes. Son has done, what yes. the Spirit has done. But it's, again, seeing what they have already done for us at the moment we were born again. Mm. And uh, that's the key to unlocking uh, a better condition on earth. Ah, Amen. Well, we are going to continue this discussion because the next time we're together, uh, as we talk about the Trinity is, has, has provided us these spiritual blessings. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Anderson, as always. We hope today's topic has stirred your interest to get into God's Word, to learn more about God's purpose in your life, your position in Christ Jesus, and your condition in your daily living. We do encourage you to check out the many courses that are offered here at Grace School of Theology that will help you to grow in your knowledge and your love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please share this podcast with others. 
Your feedback is always welcome. Send us your comments, your questions, or make suggestions for program topics. You can email us at savinggrace at gsot.edu or Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. We're so glad you tuned in today. And remember that the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.